Happy New Year. Real quick uh, housekeeping. We're going to have a meeting, our annual meeting, business meeting right after church, five minutes or so, maybe seven, maybe eight, no kidding. Short meeting. It's open to all, but members of this church can vote on new deacons and the 2017 budget. Those have both been announced for weeks in the weeks past, so join us after, and we'll take care of that business, and then we'll truly ring in the new year from a business side. And um, what we did when we planted the church before we merged churches at Hope Church of San Mateo is either the first or second Sunday, we would take that opportunity as a church to talk about money for lots of reasons. And the main reason was to be transparent with the people, to give an account of what was given and where it went. And in our asking and in our surveying and in our talking and having coffee, the people at that small church plant love that <laughs> because it was an open book as much as possible. Um, when it comes to giving, I'll pray in a sec because I'm going to need it today. I've seen the whole gamut growing up in church. I've seen the you must give 10% or it will be hot where you rest. And then I swing back the other way because I can get to a lots of points in scripture to talk about money, and um, we functioned at our church plant and kind of brought some of that culture here because I think San Carlos was functioning that way too, is there's prescriptions in the scriptures and God desires us to give from, give from a cheerful heart. But it is not mandated and we're not to do it out of compulsion and that's where I'm gonna go today. What I wanna do over the next few minutes before I get, I have the numbers, end of the year numbers, we'll talk about that at the end. Um, and hopefully we're encouraged and we want to be, again, as transparent as possible. I want to set up an argument not to condemn you, to persuade you. And my heart too. That make sense? This isn't a uh, guilty or not guilty. We're not looking for an acquittal verdict. I'm going to go to five examples in the scriptures. I'm going to call them witnesses. Only because I think they witness to what God has for us regarding time, our time. Our treasures, money, that's weird, we'll talk about money, and our gifts, our talents. And hopefully we can learn together and continue to grow. Because I thought I had the giving thing locked down, and then I studied it for the last two weeks, and I've seen some things afresh. And what I'm here to tell you, as we walk with the Lord, we should always be learning. <laughs> what did we learn two months ago? Anyone, says who I'm, anyone who ever says, I'm an expert disciple, say, thank you, I'll pay for coffee, have a nice day. They don't understand yet. So let me pray, because we'll need it, and hopefully as we walk forward for the years, hopefully decades to come, this will be a good tradition, one we look forward to, talking about money and giving as a church family toward the beginning of the year. Maybe we'll do it Super Bowl Sunday one year, that'll be fun, right? Let's pray. Father, help me, and help me open your scriptures, and show us what you say about the things that you've given and we've earned. Help us not to swing one way or the other, but help us see Jesus, the living word who became flesh to live and die and be raised so we might call you dad. Help us now in Jesus' name, amen. I've heard most of the arguments. I'm a new covenant Christian. I don't have to give 10% because that was the law, okay, I hear you. Hang with me. We're gonna have some scriptures, we'll get there, we'll be in Corinthians and Malachi. 
an often perverted passage. We'll talk about the dangers in perverting scripture. But what I want you to do right now, because I gave a little bit of a preface, is take a deep breath on three. One, two, three. Oh, and relax. We're in God's house. It's 2017. I'm not passing the credit card machine. Yet joke. Total joke. Everyone laugh. No. Relax. Let's see what the scriptures say. There was a guy way back when, a patriarch. He was the father of faith. He was Abram and became who? Abraham. Our kids showed us that in their skit a couple weeks ago. It was awesome. In Genesis 14, his nephew Lot gets kidnapped, we'll say, and he goes on a rescue mission. Anybody remember? He's walking by Salem, which would later become Jerusalem, city of peace. And in the King's Valley, he rolls up on a weird dude. His name is Melchizedek. Okay? Lots of debate and theory and commentary and this and that. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us he is a preamble or a pre-shadowing of Christ. Why? Because he is the prince of the God of peace and he is a high priest and his name means king of righteousness. No human alone, so your theology is right, can take those titles. That would be blasphemy. So this guy shows up and he blesses Abraham. And he brings wine in a form of bread, a foreshadowing, I think, of communion. And Abraham, in return, gives a tenth of all he took from the bad guys to honor this man. It's just there. We've got to deal with it, right? Are there ever parts of the Bible you don't want to deal with so you don't read? Me too, but I'm a pastor, so it's hard. That was pre-law, by the way. So the law argument, gone. I just destroyed your law argument. But Dave, that was pre-Moses, pre-Sinai. That was the father of faith. He gave, not to get in return, but he gave in an act of faith to honor God. That's all, to honor God. Okay. That's my first witness. Abram and Abraham. He meets Melchizedek. A beautiful exchange happens. A foreshadowing of communion, what brings peace to our souls, the blood of Christ, and Abraham simply in returns gives. And if you want to read it, he doesn't give the broken down animals. He gives first. He gives the good stuff. He gives the $50 coffee at the dinner party. $50 a, a pound, not the Safeway Select Special. That's what I give. So I got to work on that, right? But he gives. That's all. Witness number two. The law itself, the law. The law was given to God's people. The law was given to Moses by God. In turn, it was given a couple times because remember the first time Moses met with God, the people came down and they were worshiping an idol and he smashes the Ten Commandments and goes back up and uh, reckons with God and does some things and Moses has some attitude about the people. But the law is given and these are some of the things it says. The law of the Old Testament, the way we understand it now, I believe they were general ordinances God gave to his people for two reasons, culminating in the Ten Commandments. I don't want to debate you the Ten Commandments are good for us and for society. 
It's good that I don't covet my neighbor's wife. Amen? It's good. It's good I don't murder. Amen? It's good that I worship the true God. Amen? It's good that I don't steal. So the first four are in relation to God, how he would be worshipped, how he would be known, and the next six are how we relate to each other. That's how the law was given. That's what the law has always been about. In the Old Testament, before Jesus, there are some things that they had to do. We're under grace. Jesus has fulfilled the law, and we say amen, but we still must look at how things were set up. It's good for us. The idea in, relates, in relating to tithes or giving, it was established that a person, a family, would not necessarily give a tenth per se, because we can even look in the scriptures where it was almost like a tax during season where the nation of Israel had to give up to 27% because it was a theocracy. You know what that means? It wasn't like the U.S. where there's a big government. God was king and he had priests and the country had to run. But when it comes to the first fruits principle, the Old Testament points to the law giving a tenth of what comes first to honor God so that we might be shaped and look more like him. That's what it's always been about. It was never the holy lottery. If CJ over here grew corn, he would have given a small portion first. His best corn, tallest stalks, maybe white, sweet, I don't know. And he would have given that to honor God because he wanted by choice, not under compulsion, to say, I'm remembering where this has come from. If it doesn't rain, guess what? Back then, they, were, they weren't stupid, but they didn't have technology per se. And so the law was given to shape people, to form people, not as a holy lottery. CJ wouldn't have given to go, I'm going to give God a little bit because I'm going to get blessed in two months. That was never the mindset up until, this is scary, about 1908 in Western countries. And we can talk a bit about that, but there's no, there's no real use of dwelling on that. I'll have coffee with you if you want to hear more about the prosperity gospel and the Ponzi scheme that some preachers play. Say, if you give me this much, God's really going to bless you. The law and the scriptures never attest to that. Quick examples. The firstborn male of a family's flock, they, under the law, were not the families. They were offered to God in order to be shaped and to recognize the giver of all. Now things like donkeys were born, and donkeys were unclean, so they couldn't be sacrificed. And all the way back under the law, you know what the substitution was for something like a donkey, if you could f afford it? A spotless lamb. So it was a foreshadowing of what was to come for us as well. The law had provisions because a donkey was really useful. It wasn't good to go around destroying donkeys because they, they could pull a lot. <laughs> they could move a lot. And if a family couldn't afford it, that was understood. Pigeons and other animals were offered as a gift of first fruits, in recognition of all who God is. So we would be formed in faith, just like Abraham. 
Remember Joseph and Mary took Jesus and had him dedicated or consecrated? Remember what? They were poor. They offered pigeons, the scriptures tell us. So this is what the Torah or the law shows us. Third witness, the prophets themselves. I'm going to put the scriptures up. You guys are like, sweet. I chose this passage because it's often used to guilt people of faith into giving their money to satisfy some sort of conscience, but I want to try and teach it the way it's hopefully meant to be taught. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Just so you know, the kingdom is divided. The north has been indicted. The south is about to go under. They're going to be overcome by the Assyrians. It gets confusing with all the nations and people groups. And the prophet is speaking to the priest at the end of 2 and 3, and he's challenging them. They are not being good pastors. They are living high on the hog. They are doing things they shouldn't be doing. So Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That's actually good. It sounds weird, but that's good. Next verse. Sailor didn't know what she was getting into, huh? She said, I got dedicated. I got to hear that guy. She says, I'm out of here. Good, good girl. Here we go. Malachi 3.7, from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Isn't that, a, isn't that what a child says? I had it last night with one of my children. Hey, stop doing this. I just saw you do this. What have I done? That's, what, that's, their, that's their reaction. What did I do? I just saw you. But that's our natural reaction. So God's setting up a hypothetical. Malachi 3.8, next verse. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? Duh. In your tithes and contributions. This gets tricky. Woo. Because what preachers do sometimes, men and women, go check them out, only for five minutes, it's your permission, is they say that verse alone and they berate congregations and say, you know why you're sick? Because you're robbing God. You know why your life's not going well? Because you're robbing God. You know why you have financial lack? Because you're robbing God. Hogwash. I would use a stronger word if I wouldn't offend people or my own heart. It's baloney. No. That's not what that means. Let's keep reading. Next verse. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The nation was not doing well. The nation was about to get taken over. Malachi was our last prophet before Jesus, per se, and God is letting these people know it, but we can learn something. Next verse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. That's the only time in the scriptures that phrase is used, that God says, put me to the test. Because we saw... Two weeks ago, when the wicked king Ahaz said what? I will not test the Lord. That's forbidden, okay? And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Do you see how people with wrong motives could spin those two or three verses to make people feel really guilty and to twist scripture? That's not what we want to do, but we want to see what it says. As I said, there are no spiritual Ponzi schemes. 
There's no, you put in 10%, you'll get 10 million, but many people twist scripture to put that forth. I already hear you because my heart does it too. Dave, again, we are not under the law. We don't have to tithe. Okay? I hope there's a little bit of friction where we're thinking in church on the first year of 2017. I call the prophets, especially Malachi forward, to show us God's intent for us when we give. That's all. It is not a two plus two equals four. I'm not doing that. That's what other people do. I'm trying to show us what God is saying 2,400 years ago, dealing with people who are trying to walk in faith. Now, they're going through it. So we should learn from them. We should see with our own eyes what God is talking about throughout the scriptures to form us ultimately to look more like him, the giver of all. Ultimately, I'll break it down because I know it was a lot of, what? When Malachi was writing, the nation of Israel was giving their king leftovers. Miss Mary, if I came to your house, probably because we're really good friends, would you offer me leftovers? Yes, my wife, no way. If I came up, I'd get a turkey sandwich leftover. Thank you, Mary. But if my beautiful bride showed up, she would get filet mignon, and Bernard's here, so a nice bottle of red wine, right, Bernard? Eight, right? But that's what Malachi is writing. You, in your faith, are offering God leftovers. You're offering him cold stuffing and fake turkey. That's all. That's, that's all that's being said. Let's not let preachers and pastors, I've seen both men and women do it, do something with the scriptures that was never intended to be done. Just realize that. God wants to shape us and form us and continue to grow us in faith. And one of the ways we grow is not by offering leftovers with our time, with our treasures, or with our talents. It's not good for us pursuing Jesus to mail it in, myself included, and show up and go, fake smile. But God wants more. Not unto salvation or blessing or cursing. Hear me. Unto your and my, big word, sanctification, which means long journey of becoming more like Jesus. My fourth witness, I'm on time, that's good, is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus. He's a good witness, right? He is the witness. You know what the most common topic in the sermon we just studied, if you're new or visiting, we went through the Sermon on the Mount for six months. Oh, and they're still here. Praise God, we're growing. You know what the most common subject Jesus taught about was? You could all tie it back to money. Material things. Why is money so personal? You ever ask that question? I got an answer, I think. Why is money in your money? It's your money. Why is it so personal? Because I earned it. Yes, amen. Think about this. Think big. You go to school or not. You learn a trade or not. You do something to better your intellect, your skill set, and your work ethic. That's pretty good, right? That's what we try and do. And then you take a job 
and contract yourself out. You do. This isn't, you know, Russia a long time ago or maybe now, but that's what we do in America. And then we agree to be paid as we invest our life. That's why. That's why it's personal. What you bring in, I can pick on the preschool. They're here. I go hang out with our preschool. They are awesome. Our teachers and helpers are awesome. And they literally invest their life into young kids by teaching them how to read, write, honor God. Conflict resolution. All these things that we need, and they put their whole lives in, as do you at your work. And when they get paid, there's a, because that's me. And it's not shallow and superficial, but think about it. So when someone, the government, a pastor, a family member goes, you must do that, we go like this. Ooh, and that's actually kind of good. Because we are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. (laughs) So that's why money, when I started that, it clicked with me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why money So Jesus talks about our possessions, our wealth, our money, and his teaching can be summed up in Matthew 6, 19. We saw it, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Next verse. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. We all go, oh, that's so nice. Everyone go, on three, go, ah, one, two, three. Ah, that's so fun. It's like an after-school special, duh. Here comes the hammer. Next one. Boom. This is where that part of his sermon goes from after-school special to cutting me and you probably right to the heart, right? Because we know that's true. History says that's true. Your life says that's true, good and bad. This isn't a condemning sermon. Good and bad. We had an opportunity to raise over $50,000 for South Sudan four years ago. We worked hard. But for a whole crew of us, our life was in raising that money for nine months, and it was wonderful. But every, it was almost like Sudan burnout, if you could, or South Sudanese burnout, because we were all about it. So just see the teachings of our Savior, the Word who became flesh. Whatever we treasure, that's where we'll be. Just see it. Jesus is talking about what we have here, he gives us a nice logical explanation about material things, and then he goes right for the heart, your heart and my heart. And in this, I think his heart would be to form us so we treasure God ultimately, and everything else we invest our life in can flow from that. And there's a little discrepancy here, so my last witness is the Apostle Paul himself. Paul, St. Paul, good dude, church planner, I guess we could say murderer per se, because he was at least an accomplice early on, was converted, and then gave his life for the church. Real quickly, we're not going to turn there, we're going to get to 2 Corinthians, 
But in 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses, Paul lays out his reality of the gospel. It's beautiful. Go read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The rest of the chapter, he talks about the reality of the resurrection. And when you get that wonderful passage, we all know, especially of us with a few blue, uh, gray hairs, not blue hairs, but gray hairs, and says what? Death, oh death, where is it? I can be confident that I will not feel the pain of death because my Savior rose from the grave. And you know what he says? That's at the end of 15. Remember, no verses when Paul wrote. You know what the first three verses are in chapter 16? I'm going to give you homework. Paul says, now let's go have an offering. I guess that's the way you do church back then, right? Where is the sting of death because of the reality of Jesus rising from the dead? Amen, church? Pass the plates. So when Paul's thinking, who we love, even our giving and our helping is in light of resurrection. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're the united way, which is great. The united way does great work, but we're to be motivated by something far greater, the love of Jesus Christ. So that's what he gets at. He's a weirdo, but he's a good weirdo. He's a smart guy. But here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. I explained some of his first letter about the resurrection. In that letter, in 16, he goes on to say, I'm going to come get the offering you're working on. Paul's smart. Corinth is a big church. Corinth is a mega church. And Paul is working with small churches to help ease the suffering in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about to be ransacked. This is early to mid-60s, like the first century. 70, Jerusalem fell, and it wasn't a good fall. It took nine months. Read history if you need a good scare before you go to bed one night. It was tough, okay? But Paul is raising funds for the saints in and around Jerusalem. This is what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, up north and a little bit east. Next verse. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. You see that? That's weird. You know what it would mean nowadays? A poor neighborhood in America wants to take part in a collection to help the people who are going through it in Washington, D.C. There's a juxtaposition here. These people he's speaking of have been afflicted, yet they're still wanting to enter into giving to help relieve the church in Jerusalem. Next verse. i got to talk fast because we're almost up against it. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, and this is the key, look at it, of their own Honda Accord. How many Accord drivers? A couple back there. We're the best. That's what the scripture says. They gave of their own Accord. It wasn't a law. It wasn't a compulsion. They're going through it, but they heard the need. They're like, I want to join in. Verse 4, begging us. These folks who are going through it, hearing about the needs of the saints, are begging for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, here's the key, first to the Lord. You see that? And then by the will of God to, the, to us. I had a hard part reconciling this verse three years ago. 
because I was going the other way. After being brought up in a pretty legalistic, you must give 10% or else, I swung this way and said, I can kind of give whatever I want as long as my heart's good. As with Jesus, it's always right down the middle. It appears these people who were giving generously to the people in Jerusalem who were going under affliction were observing, and at least in theory, the practice of giving first to the Lord. That even though they were poor, they were in their hearts being obedient by giving the things that came. The first piece, however much it was, was offered in love and gratitude to the Lord. And this, in turn, perhaps spurred them on to give generously to those who were, what? In need. Generous people rarely have to be strong-armed to give time, treasure, or talent. And we become generous people, which you are. We'll finish with this. Amazingly generous church. We are made generous by pursuing Christ and being formed by God. That was gruesome and painful, the cross, disgusting in some ways. But overall, it was the most generous thing that ever happened in human history. God gave all in Christ. And he, now he is saying, church, saints, if you want to be more like this, if you want to be more generous, if you want to enter into this way, let me form you. And as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, I need to form you in your heart. Otherwise, it's just what? I can train a dog if I beat him hard enough. It's behavior modification if we just cast it off and go, yeah. But Christ wants to form, and he has shown the way. And ultimately, he died. Last scripture, I promise. Next chapter, Paul's still writing. And this kind of wraps it up. In the first six verses of math, or 2 Corinthians 9, go read it tonight. Paul is so good. He's writing to a mega church again, and he says, hey, guys, remember about the offering we talked about a year ago? I'm going to be there soon. And actually, before I come, I'm going to send some people so you're not embarrassed. Sometimes successful movements, bigger things, sometimes we forget the details, right? Paul is giving them a heads up, but also encouraging them to go remember. And then we come to verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Next verse. This is Paul's teaching, quoting the Old Testament. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Pastor Dave, should I give 10%? I don't know. It's a good start. It might be right for you. So Pastor Dave, should I give more? I don't know. God loves a cheerful giver. Pastor Dave, what should I do about this? Seek the scriptures and pray and be led by God in order, and the whole goal is to be formed by him, subset, and here's the good part for us, so the kingdom would be built, amen? We might be looking to go overseas soon. It costs money to go overseas. It just, it just does. Anybody got a genie in a bottle? We could just do it that way. But the point is, giving, especially in church, time, treasure, talents, first and foremost, so that we are formed and shaped by God. Secondly, to build this great kingdom. Hopefully this becomes more of a encouragement. I hope you're encouraged real quickly before 
our worship team comes up and closes out the first Sunday of the new year. I just want to give you a few numbers so we can be as above board as much as we can. We merged churches last year. We didn't really know where to start as far as giving a month. We shot that shot, you know, like shot the goal. Weird. Um, about 16000 a month would be given in our church, tithes and givings and offerings in different ways. We saw an average between eleven and 13000 per month. It's great. Don't see it as a, we didn't know, but it's great. Unbelievable, right? We collect rent, if you don't know. We collect rent from little earners because their house is paid off now. God's really awesome in that way, right? They pay us a, a fair rent, right, Mary? I got yeah, easy, you're in church, easy, easy. We also run out our building during Monday through Friday to Catholic Charities, and they run an adult day school for dementia and Alzheimer patients. It's wonderful. Volunteer opportunities are there, and it's nice just to see that happen. We also rent our facility a couple times a week to Iglesia Baptista, a Spanish-speaking church, Spanish to English, mostly Spanish. They're wonderful too. So on average, we collect about $11,784 in rent. That's what the church collects. To date, through November, I don't have this month because we're still doing the books, but last January to, gosh, a month ago, November, our giving and our rent collected was $293,588. Praise God. It's crazy. Now, here's the good part, right? Everyone's like, yeah, okay, I get that. Red or black, red or black, red or black. Year-to-date expenses so far through November are $246,219, uh, black or above or whatever. Basically, God's been graciously abundant to us, and this year he's provided $47,368 over what we spent. Say it that way. So God's good, and you are very generous. So keep being formed. What do we do with this money? Everything and more than you know. We have the unique ability. I know I don't ever put it on social media, but we are Christ's hands and feet in our community. When people come in and need assistance, not just counseling, but in a material way, we can sometimes put people up at a hotel. We can sometimes pay for counseling. We can sometimes buy food. And there will be more opportunity to do that to show the love of Christ. All the while hoping that in our generosity that we're being formed so they might see the light of Christ as well. So keep charging. If you want to know more specifics, come talk to us. Like I said, transparency and honesty is best, especially with money. Amen? And we are so grateful to walk forward uh, with this journey together. I want to retire from this church, not that you cared, but I hope that we continue to be generous and keep being formed and keep moving and there will be some opportunities this year to do that. Uh, so that will be awesome. I'm going to pray as I pray. Worship team, come on up. We'll sing one last song. Don't look sad about money. It wasn't horrible, was it? It was, give me some smiles. I'm dying up here. I'm sweating. Holy moly. Uh, worship team, come on up. Again, after we close our service, we'll have our annual business meeting. Please stay if you would like. If you're a member, you have an opportunity to vote and say amen. And we'll do all that. Let me pray. Father, help us continue to walk in light of your son and how generous he was. Thank you for giving yourself. And in the giving, the teaching, the living, uh, the practical example, and then going to Calvary and giving all. Father, shape us to be generous people 
with our time, treasures, and talents. Shape us to be givers and uh, stay, off, stay us from the mentality of mine and mine because that is so detrimental to our heart. Help us now. Thank you for this time. Thank you for a new year. In Jesus' name, amen.